Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the gin beforehand, that's why I put it as item two on the agenda. Tēnā koutou and welcome to this episode of 76 Small Rooms, a podcast about architecture from Aotearoa, New Zealand. Last year, representatives of the New Zealand Institute of Architects and Naaho, the Society of Māori Design Professionals, signed Te Kawanata o Rata, a covenant that formalises an ongoing relationship of cooperation between two groups. It's one of the first agreements between an Indigenous group and the architecture profession in the world. If the spirit of the agreement is honoured, and it's really interesting, it'll mean the architecture profession gets a lot better at consulting with Māori and incorporating Māori design principles in their work, rather than just you know putting a Māori artwork in a foyer and calling it a day. It'll also hopefully result in a lot more Māori students wanting to be architects. Melissa Peter Heta is an architectural graduate at JASMAX and a key member of Nga Aho, the group of Māori creatives, which was one of the driving forces behind the agreement. First, we asked her how she got involved. Kia ora koutou. Uh, ko Melissa Peter Hinemoe Heta tāku um, I am a wonderful uh, Aotearoa mix of part Māori, Samoan, Tokelaan, English and a smattering of Portuguese and some Scottish, so, um, you know, just all the things. Um, I am an architectural graduate at Jasmix, um, but I'm also what we have termed um, kahui whaihanga um, within uh, Wakamaya, which is Māori design leaders at Jasmix as well. Um, I have an interesting kind of art and architectural background, so I've come through both the MArt Prof um, programs as well as a Master of Literature in Museums and Cultural Heritage, so I um, sit in the world of Māori art and craft would be one way of putting it, um, quite firmly. I've, I've worn many hats over the last few years and, and I suppose partly that is because I operate in a um, in a very small kind of uh, area where multiple vectors meet, um, being a woman in Māori and Māori and Pacific Island descent, um, and there are very few of us in the industry. So, um, what that's meant is that I've ended up becoming quite an advocate and um, an advocate for for Māori and Pacific people, um, both within the profession and also the communities as well. Uh, so that has manifested in teaching as well as architecture as well as as well as creating art artworks. So that's kind of a little bit of an unusual um, <laughs> uh, Heidi around my, my life. Um, <laughs> yeah, I um, so I've been involved in Aho obviously, which is the um, the the Ropu or the group that have signed or created the Kawinata um, in conjunction with the NZIA, which is what was signed this morning. So um, one common question I've been getting lately is who are Ngā Aho? Um, and Ngā Aho were formed um, 10 years ago by multiple um, kind of Māori design professionals. So it covers um, kind of Māori creatives, so it's not specific to architecture, which means there are kind of planners and um, some policy makers in there a little bit as well, <laughs> our planning friends, mm -hmm. um, but uh, landscape architects, artists, designers, um, and the like. Uh, so Ngāaho, yeah, have been operating for 10 years um, with the guidance of 
obviously people like Crow Hoskins, who mm-hmm. most people know very well, um, Karen Wilson, um, various members like Jacob Scott, um, John Scott's son, um, Bill Royal, um, and then Matua, or our co-Matua, um, Hardy Williams. And Hardy Williams is an incredibly interesting man who you just end up wanting to spend hours of time with uh, in that he was there with Fina Cooper and um, Hone Tufare and the like uh, marching in the 70s um, and was also quite um, a dominant figure with Ngāpuna Waihanga which is the kind of Māori, contemporary Māori art sort of movement in around the 70s and 80s. So Ngāaho um, was looking to be a, a kind of contemporary organisation off the back of Ngāpuna Waihanga and it ending around 92 um, as a way of, of allowing some kind of uh, networking and coming together and support and um, kind of collegiality I suppose amongst Māori design professionals so that's who Ngāaho are it's mm-hmm. a bit of a long winded explanation but um, the essence of how or why the kawenata came together is that in the 2014 um Venice Biennale, mm-hmm. Tony Van Raat, Pip Cheshire and Joe were having a conversation around um, essentially the NZIA's relationship to Māori and um, Pip just felt, considering that it was his term as president, that um, it was a, a, his opportunity to kind of give something back in that way and to try and formalise those, those conversations. So there was the first ever Māori architects hui Mm-hmm. which happened at Unitech in 2000, at the end of 2014, which was the first time we had ever had a gathering of Māori architects yep. um, in New Zealand in the history of architecture, I suppose. Uh, so as you can imagine, there was a great conversation that was both positive and the airing of several years of grievances. Yeah. Um, but what came out of that that was really positive was a huge list of actions and wants and aspirations and ideas and ideals um, for what Māori really wanted out of the profession, for themselves, for the communities they were working for, for the buildings they were designing, for the fabric of the city they were in. Um, and it was a big list, it was a big challenging list. Um, and a smaller working group kind of formed from that and there was a discussion around um, what might we do kind of first, what's the lowest hanging fruit. Um, There was a conversation about setting up some kind of MOU or a Memorandum of Understanding Mm -hmm. between the NZIA and Ngāaho actually just to set up any further um, actions that might come from that later. Because we realised that in actual fact, yes, it's good to kind of tick the things off the list, but what is the relationship? What are we fulfilling? Um, who are we working for and why? You know, those kind of big questions. And so that's actually turned into probably a two-year-long conversation. <laughs> the lowest hanging fruit turned out to be pretty... Um, More pretty, of it. Pretty big. Thought, yeah. Pretty big. Um, but it was... essentially what it became was a really beautiful conversation around the potential that the treaty had and still has Um, but moving away from the use of the term treaty because I know Matua Hari sort of talks about the the fact that there's a lot of abuse tied to that term 
Um, so there's negative connotations around that, even though from our perspective, what we're trying to say is that actually it was a foundational document that really talked about the coming together of two people and their ability to work together. But because that was not honoured, that's where the abusive relationship was tied to that. What we're trying to reinstate is the positivity and the potential within the treaty and its relationship to our built environment and mm -hmm. its outcomes. So Te Kawenata o Rata is the name of the document, um, which connects it to Rata and um, that chief, but also kind of the timber, the, the, the life force of, of buildings, you know, early buildings, mm -hmm. i.e. our whare being built out of wood. So it's a, it's a connecting term. The Kawenata itself, the, um, it begins with a, a really beautiful uh, karakia by Uruweta Sterling that talks about setting the foundations of your whare. It talks about, um, you know, building a strong house, building a house that, that embraces, that envelops. Um, and then goes through five articles that explain what that relationship between the Aho and the NZIA is and what that means. And essentially it's really about, it's about mana, it's about, um, you know, authority and, and, and place and, and it's recognition and acknowledgement um, for both parties, for both parties going forward. Um, and... It's quite an empowering document. Mm -hmm. It's quite a, um, it's a very firm document. It's not, we weren't using any sort of, um, there was a term Matuahara used to use. It's kind of, uh, basically there couldn't be any room for interpretation. We just decided to make it very clear, mm -hmm. obvious and short statements that were, you know, <laughs> able to be taken in at first glance. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and it's it's amazing, and there are, there are some um, whakatauki and whakatauaki at the end, so proverbs that are either related to or have a whakapapa to a person or, or are kind of anonymous that um, just talk about collectivity and um, and the fact that we can we can do more together than we can apart, um, and that's the entire essence of the document, really. That was Alyssa Peter Heta, architectural graduate at JASMAX and a member of Naaho, the group of Māori design creatives. Next, we spoke to Ro Hoskins, an architect and architecture lecturer at Unitech and a director of the firm Design Tribe, where he's done many things, including working on Māori housing advocacy and papakainga design projects. He's also presented Māori TV's 2012 series, Whare Māori. His 1997 master's thesis focused on the role of the Māori architect in the design of Kurakopapa Māori. He's a former chair of Naaho and has been a driving force behind the development of Te Kawanata Orata. We started by asking him what the agreement between Naaho and the New Zealand Institute of Architects means for the architecture profession. What does Te Kawanata mean for the profession of architecture? Well, I think Te Kawanata reflects a, an acknowledgement that architecture in Aotearoa rests on a relationship, a treaty-based relationship between Māori and Tangata Tiriti. So we have Tangata Whenua, Tangata Tiriti, the people of the treaty, the people who are here because of the treaty. And I think that's, you know, it, it may have taken uh, well over a hundred years, um, but it's significant that um, 
that with the uh, Future Islands exhibition we can take both the exhibition and the kawenata and accompanying conversations around the country and start to make sure that those who are interested have the opportunity to engage obviously with the exhibition but also with the, the significance of the, of the kawenata and with um, the opportunity to sort of uh, peel back some layers of, of this working relationship and um, reflect on um, people's own practice and how they engage or would like to engage with tangata uh, whenua. Because I guess that's the third dimension of the travelling conversation is that we have stipulated that, the, that mana whenua, the local Māori, tribal hapu, need to be part of that conversation. We can't have this independent, generic Māori and mm -hmm. NZIA conversation up at this level while we happen to be in Tauranga or, mm -hmm. or Waikato or Wellington or Christchurch. Um, we, we have to um, walk the talk, basically, and, uh, and make sure that, that mana whenua are part of that conversation for them to also say, well, what does it mean for them to to um, have a uh, to be in post settlement de development mode uh, with their own um, commercial and cultural health education developments, uh, and to be able to uh, give shape to those physical developments um, with reference to a profession which has moved to this kawinata. How do you think it'll maybe affect architectural practice, most of which is dominated by Pākehā practitioners? I think, I would hope that it, it enables reflection, uh, self-reflection self in terms of uh, practice, uh, relationships that may or may not be in place between those architects and local iwi. Um, some local architects, of course, will work quite regularly with iwi and others may never and that's partly to do with their where they sit in the architectural world, what type of work they're doing and also uh, how active the local iwi are in development terms, how far post-settlement are they mm. and, um, and what type of post-settlement development activities that are, engaged, that are engaged in. It makes me think about what a responsibility it is for you and Elizabetta and the very small number of other Māori architects who have worked on this. Do you also think it could have the spillover effect of encouraging more uh, Māori high school students to go to architecture school and to feel that such a course has a future and relevance for them? Yes, I do. I think there is a gap though. Uh, at the moment, everyone is so busy um, with the kawenata, with tiaranga. Um, that there is a gap in really thinking about how you would elevate the status of, of Māori architecture and uh, the role of, of Māori architects for uh, Māori high school students in particular. And it's a very crowded space, of course, you've got every institution trying to promote themselves to to students and and most schools basically shut the door saying, so like, you, you, we're not letting you through the door because yeah. we would be busy. 
you know, 100 days a year, just, just mm-hmm. from, from this course, who wants to front up to the year, all the year 13 students and promote their, their course. So I think there's an there's a, um, important piece of work to be done there, and that's something I think that uh, NZIA and Ngā'aho uh, can um, add to their work program. So, well, okay, um, you know, we, we, we want to grow the profession, we want to grow the, um, the way that the profession relates to indigeneity and indigenous people in Aotearoa. We've got this combined responsibility to, to get more of our people into the profession. Um, we, I kind of feel that uh, there's a lot of um, high-flying Māori doctors and lawyers who could have been equally good or maybe better architects, but they just weren't given enough uh, of a steer. Uh-huh. Um, so, and what we are kind of would say is that we want our share of the of the best and the brightest. Um, we can't offer you the salary. <laughs> <laughs> the pay's too crappy. <laughs> Don't mention that. Yeah. Exactly. This, Just avoid yeah. avoid yeah. that. Yeah. Is this kind of agreement or initiative um, <coughs> unique to New Zealand, or are there other international examples? Well, we were lucky to go on a study tour earlier this year through Canada and the US, so we've got a, a reasonable understanding of what is and isn't happening there. I think uh, there, the, the difficulties that, that, that you have in both Canada and the US is the, the sheer number of different uh, tribal groups mm. involved and the difficulty of distance, just getting those groups together to coalesce their thinking. Mm. So. Um, uh, notwithstanding that, we did get significant gathering in, in Ottawa, and and also at the at the um, Canadian Institute of Architects um, National Conference, and also uh, another uh, gathering in um, in um, ASU, um, Arizona State University, um, and that that attracted Indigenous architects from around Canada and the US. So. It, I think the, to the level that we've developed the Kawinata, that, that is unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the, the um, working relationship with the um, NZIA is not totally unique uh, because the AIA have got a, 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 an agreement of some sort with, the, um, with um, Native American architects as well. But uh, don't, uh, again, I don't know that they've been able to actually get the type of momentum that we've begun to get. Mm. Um, we were in ASU and um, was very um, it was disconcerting um, when we were talking about uh, um, the relationship that that Ngāho and um, the Tiaranga principals had had reached with the Auckland Council, and how that was a forlorn dream to them to think that they could have a similar. Um, set of design principles informing urban design in Albuquerque, for instance. That was like, oh, it was just, they, they, that was like, um, But I had to re- reflect on that myself and say, well, in 2006, it was probably a forlorn dream too in, in Auckland here. So, you know, things can change. Um, the Tiano principles are now being adopted in Seattle and in Vancouver. Uh, or their version of them. And so um, the contact that we've been having with a Native Canadian and Native American architects since um, February 2016 when we had our first conference there has led to 
follow-up conversations and, and engagements. And so that's quite exciting that, um, that the urban design communities or urban design uh, leaders in those councils are, um, are actually picking up those, the, the notion of the set of indigenous principles and, um, and moving forward with them. I was, I was thinking how Māori design in some ways in the past has been seen as kind of a like an adhesive application at the end of a project yeah. rather than something that's integral to it. And sure. it seems that you're suggesting it, that a deeper, yes, much deeper consultative approach will have a stronger outcome on the finished project. Too. Much deeper, much more embedded. Um, <clears throat> uh, well, I guess the first way to answer that is the first principle of the seven is is at the moment is called mana oranga tiritanga, and that effectively says establish that high quality working relationship first. Um, from that working relationship, you can collectively apply the other six principles. So it's um, that, that's key. So get get your working relationship, and that can take time, and people are busy. Um, but I often say. Take the time now because, you know, in two years' time when Project Z comes along, you know so-and-so, you know so-and-so, things can happen quickly. Hey, guys, let's, 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 let's get together on this. You can skip the, you know, the feeling out the relationship stuff because you know each other, you've, you've rubbed shoulders for a few years on a couple of projects. So um, most definitely the principles are process-oriented and including relationships uh, but also in terms of some very practical guidance in terms of um, what are the areas that um, you can focus on to make a difference in the physical environment. What, what, where can, where can um, uh, opportunities for cultural narratives um, manifest? Where, where can they manifest um, given that you've deepened your understanding of the cultural history of the local tribes, they've begun to talk about their sacred sites, uh, they've begun to talk about the ancestral names for that particular area or, or neighbouring areas, they've, they've talked about the, um, the formal, former uh, natural environment, the, um, the plant species that uh, are local to that particular area that they would like to see um, come back in some way, and they've also talked about the um, the living presence that they want. So effectively, the, the first and the last principles are process. One is about developing the relationship. The the last principle, Ahikar, is about the um, the long term connectivity between the uh, iwi or multiple iwi and that location. How how will that that relationship with that newly designed or reinstated environment manifest in meaningful ways um, so that that's, that area is kept warm, it's uh, cared for and it becomes integral um, to, to the daily lives of, of those particular iwi groups. It seems in some ways it's really just about, um, well not really, sorry I don't mean to be reductive, in some ways there's a lot about encouraging architects to just pick up the phone. Right. Yeah, <clears throat> and make contact and establish communication because that's where the better design outcomes are eventually going to come from. Absolutely, and that can be a bit scary for some people who, who haven't um, been there before. 
Uh, but very rewarding, very rewarding. Um, I'm teaching part-time at Unitech and, and the research project we're doing is, as I mentioned earlier, is about the, uh, the role of, the potential role of marae in intervening in, in the Māori and Auckland housing crisis. So we've got students, um, and there's probably three Māori students, six Pacifica students and about 12 Pākehā students. And um, we've got them actually making contact with Auckland's um, 25 or so Auckland marae. And um, I mean, some of them are, you know, um, actually Chinese, Chinese Kiwi student, you know. Last week we belonged to the Tuhoi Marae um, uh, monthly meeting, you know, and mm -hmm. turned up and, you know, and, and so th those are sort of really important engagements. Um, which so, so, you know, when he, when he next comes across a Māori project, he, you know, there's hopefully, you know, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I've, I've, I've been there before and, you know, it's not so scary. Another, another student is out at, uh, is, is just talking to, um, has got a, struck up a really good rapport with one of the main people out at, um, near the airport there at um, Pukaki Marae. And, um, you know, calls them up on a, you know, first name basis and has a chat and, you know, and uh, those, are, those are really important um, sort of barriers to break down and, and little bits of confidence to instill in, in uh, and budding architects here. Labor's deputy leader, Calvin Davis, made a really interesting analogy about relationships between Māori and Pākehā in the election campaign, which kind of seems pertinent to this in a sense. And he talked about them, um, Te Ao Māori and Te Ao Pākehā as um, being connected by a bridge. Every Māori person in New Zealand has crossed into the Pākehā side and grown to understand that well, but very Pākehā have made the return journey um, mm. and immersed themselves in mm. Māori culture. Mm. Which seems to be what this, what Te Kāwanata, um suggests, that sort of engagement a bit more, doesn't it? It, it does. It, it does, and it, um, I guess, it would it, it would encourage the profession and the institute um, to continue to conduct itself in such a way that that um, um, sent those messages back to the membership. Say, hey, you know, this, this, this is, this is um, not, um, this is not uh, extraordinary stuff we're talking about. This is, this is the new normal, mm. you know. Two-way traffic across the bridge mm. is the new normal, mm. you know. And of course we know um, quite a few Pākehā people who regularly traverse the bridge and, and others who, who have occasionally, and others who, who for whatever reason, um, haven't, haven't, haven't had the opportunity. So um, I think it's a good analogy, and I think the um, Kawinata does represent a bridge, and I think the next challenge for Ngāaho and the NZIA is to continue to put that conversation out there in a variety of ways in in ways that um, you know the average branch member in Whanganui can think, feel that they they haven't missed the boat or the bridge doesn't exist in Whanganui, it only exists in Auckland, mm. you know. Um, but I think you know we've we've only just scratched the surface on these conversations, and I, I hope that at every uh, NZIA um, conference there's a chance to sort of dig a little bit further 
You know, and of course there's so much to chuck in, and so much content and international people and all sorts of stuff is, mm -hmm. to fill up these conferences with. But I just think it's really important um, just to, to set aside some time and say, hey, let's, let's, um, let's just um, enable more people to participate in this conversation. So that was Ro Hoskins, an architect, architecture lecturer at Unitech and a director of the firm Design Tribe. And he's been one of the leading advocates of Te Kawanata Orata, the agreement that the New Zealand Institute of Architects has signed with Nga Aho, a group of Māori design professionals. Now, the three of you are architects. How do you think, if at all, this agreement is going to affect the way you work and the way you design things? I don't know if I know yet. So. I think that was one of the really interesting things, and, and Raoul talked about that in the discussion, was where do we go next? What, is it, what does it translate into? How does it affect um, everyday practice, I guess? So I'm, I'm keen to find out, really. I, I think it is, um, we're going to see more of it in um, our larger scale commercial and public uh, projects. Um, we're already um, at the Auckland Urban Design Panel starting to ask questions um, to applicants about how they're incorporating, or incorporating te aranga principles in their design and I think that that will become normal, Standard. the new normal. Yeah. yeah, and look, I would hope that, to, to your point earlier on, Jeremy, that it, it, it gives a mandate and an expectation on a much more sophisticated uh, integration of these mm. principles and the way they express themselves in architecture. So moving away from that veneer and that application to things that are much more deeply integrated and are less of a slap in the face, are more sophisticated in the gestures they may refer to um, and, and, and as such I think potentially much more richer and authentic. It's fascinating, right, because it potentially adds a whole extra layer to not only the way you design and um, possibly quite a lot of extra work, but also um, there's an unpredictable element to the outcomes, which is really exciting. I think it'll be a much richer response. It'll be, mm, we'll yes. have richer architecture for it, we'll have, um, and it will be unique to this place. And I think, yeah, it will only make our architecture better. And our, and our cities better as mm. well, you know. We're sort of, um, this is our uh, opportunity to uh, have places that truly re represent who we are rather than just a direct borrowing from other countries. Mm. How do you think, for example, I guess visually is the best way to describe it, these principles might make themselves felt in a building, like on a commercial scale, for example? Do you have any idea of that yet, or what it, how it might feel? I'd almost say that, like, to what I almost meant before was that it will be more than visual. Right. should be more than visual. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So those ideas about um, respectful stewardship of a resource, mm -hmm. that doesn't have to express itself visually. Yeah, I see what you and, mean. And yeah. so there can be other ways that, that the building design can be enriched or the, the way in which it touches the ground can be done with more respect or acknowledgement of the history or the original inhabitants. So they won't all be visual. And I'd almost suggest that part of the issue has been an over-reliance on the visual before, because hmm. that's a thing you can stick on. Hmm. The same thing happens with sustainability. Everyone likes to see a windmill, hmm. even though there's actually better, more authentic <laughs> ways to really do things. And I'd, I'd, I'd hope that this actually offers more than that. Yes, there will be the visual, and we'll read a lot of metaphor and narrative and materiality yeah. and geometry out of the visual, but um, I would hope it encourages us to actually go in a uniquely Aotearoa direction 
that maybe isn't even one any of us can see yet or imagine yet. But that's kind of the really great opportunity, mm. a territory that hasn't yet been done and doesn't look like we imagine mm. when we think of what tikanga principles are or Māori mm. architecture is. And that's, if that's embraced well and understood well and respectfully interpreted and implemented, I think that could be really exciting. So the idea of manaakitanga has actually huge possibilities um, if you put it in the scope of the city. What would a welcoming city be like? What would a, a city that hosts generously yep. feel like? I yep. mean, I think that that's a very exciting possibility yep. and speaks to your comment about, um, you know, what are the other ways that we can thread, uh, could thread these principles into design? Yeah, and even things like the way sequences of spaces occur when you're welcomed into a space. Absolutely. Those don't necessarily represent themselves in an obvious visual kind of way, mm. but they are a sequence of spaces that's very distinctly of here. Yeah. Um, and, and can be applied to civic buildings. It can be applied to any building in which people are welcomed. Mm. All of these sorts of things. What kind of interests me about this process as well is that... Um, you know, in all professions, but in architecture especially, you're expected to know stuff. And this requires something quite different, which is to kind of call your local iwi and go, hi, I'm thinking about this project and I don't know what to do. Can we have a chat? Yeah. yeah. And I think perhaps that's um, one of the biggest uh, challenges for a lot of uh, practising architects to say, to, to make that to make the call, right? Mm. You know, to make that initial um, contact if that is not something that's within their experience to date. Yeah. Um, but I Which, think... Which, frankly, for the majority of the profession, it won't be. Absolutely. Well, it can feel like a bit of a dick, right? You know, like, I've totally. never spoken to you before in my life and I don't... I'm embarrassed about the lack of yeah. contact I've had with my local iwi. It's quite a lot to jump over to step into that yeah. process. Mm. Yeah. But all of those things are better than not doing it. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. So yeah. it's kind of potentially, you know, difficult times confronting what you don't know, confronting experiences you may not have had or, or have a link to and opening them into your design process. So I've done really, really well. It can be, it actually can talk to the very best part of our training, mm. which is to collaborate mm. and to draw in and synthesise ideas. And if done not so well, it can play into all of the stereotypes that architects are sometimes judged for, yeah. which is the sort of auteur, the lone genius, the idea that my idea is the best one. And it shouldn't be, you know, that, that terrible mm. myth that it's, any compromise to my idea is a problem. So, you know, I think, I think we know which way we need to choose and we know which way we need to act. Mm. Related to that, it feels like to me from the outside, architecture, especially recently, has kind of moved on from that need for a kind of often male master certain person at the top of the chain making the hard decisions. Does it feel like a more collaborative profession to you that therefore opens the door to the kind of collaboration to Kamanata Orata is suggesting? Well, I mean, I'm certainly very excited by um, uh, Te Kawanata, um, and it's certainly, we're very interested in working collaboratively. Buildings don't happen on their own. Uh, our city doesn't happen on its own. There are many, many hands which um, uh, touch the process, uh, many um, co contribution of many people that, that make places. And so I think uh, covenants like this actually just help to formalise and recognise that. Before we go, we'd just like to say a big nā mihi nui to Ro and Alyssa Peter for giving up their time to talk to us. They're both very busy people and, and we really appreciate um, their input on this episode.
And what's kind of incredible about when you say that just made me think about how Roe and Elizabeth and a whole lot of other people have given so much time to making um, Te Kawana to happen. Mm. It's such an act of generosity on their parts and all that needs to happen now is for that generosity to be, re- to be reciprocated and we're on kind of an interesting architectural path, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, thank you both for joining us. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. That's uh, episode 18 in the can. There have been rumours that some of you out there might want to hear more of our reckons in the future, so we'll consider that feedback in our next episode, and we're going to huddle and work out what we're doing next. So thanks very much for listening. Um, that's this episode of 76 Small Rooms. Matewa. Matewa. Bye. Matewa.